Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio. We are broadcasting live. We're actually also videoing live. Everything you can watch today live as at Hashem. We are continuing in our three-week series of the Halakhot of the three weeks. The three weeks known as the Ben HaMetzarim. Also what's known in the... Uh, from Yud Zayin Tammuz until Halachot of until Tashabi Av, all the laws that we need to know in these three weeks, Barzat Hashem. Last week, or let's call it part one, we spoke about the things that apply in the beginning of the three weeks, and that is the importance, first of all, of mourning for the Beit Hamikdash, and all the stuff basically was background. We started a little bit last week some of the Halachot. I don't want to go through all of them very, but uh, I just want to repeat a little bit of the style or the outline of what we're going to speak about, the, how the halakhot are going to be presented. We'll discuss the himrot or the stringencies that we have, the restrictions, better put it, the restrictions that we have in these three weeks as they gradually become more and more, like we explained. First, we have the three weeks, the laws of the Ben Hametzarim, and then the restrictions increase as we get into the nine days, and then as we get into Shabuah Shehalbo, and then, of course, finally on Tishah Be'ab itself, and whatever halakhot apply for after Tishah Be'ab, that's the morning throughout the rest of the year. We'll discuss Be'ezat Hashem in each category, in each one of these categories, and that means in the three weeks, in the nine days, in the Shabuah Shehalbo, and up to Tishah Be'ab, because Tishah Be'ab has its own things, We'll discuss basically three categories. Number one, category number one are things, restrictions that apply to everybody. We'll try to bring out the source of the restrictions and show how it applies. And then we'll discuss the details, obviously, of each one of these restrictions. Category number two, we will discuss things that are in Mahlokit, where there are different customs, different opinions, and how it, different communities apply these restrictions. And finally, things which are not really customary, but it is brought down, and it is preferred, what we call the humrot, where things people should do, but not an obligation from Minhag, and certainly not from the deen, but it's definitely, definitely praiseworthy. So, let's begin. The laws of the three weeks, the th laws of the three weeks, things that apply to everybody, are basically, we put over here, four things. Number one is dangerous activities. As we explained, person should try to avoid dangerous activities in these three weeks, especially from the hours around, I would say, maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock a.m. until around maybe 4 or 5 p.m. Next, avoid, as Maran says, to say shahiyanu, And this is for everybody. In the three weeks, we don't say the brachav shahiyanu. On Shabbat itself, we find a mahlokit. And if a person, it's necessary, when times are necessary, as we explained, one can be leaned to say shahiyanu. We're up to the next two things, number three and four, and that is dancing and music. Dancing. The Magen Abraham is the source of this halakha. In Siman Tafkuf Nun Aleph Sa'if Katan Yud, the Magen Abraham writes over there that dancing is forbidden during these three weeks. Now we're talking about dancing away without music. We're used to dancing. How can you dance without music? You have music playing in the background. We're talking about even dancing without music. You know, 
a person gets engaged and you, 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 get, you hear the announcement and people get into a dance, Mazatov, Mazatov, Semmetov, Mazatov, and you have the little circle over there, just people singing and dancing, that is not to be done in the three weeks. Music, music is a little bit more complicated. And I know that this halakha affects most people and everybody over here is, uh, always has questions on this halakha. So we're going to spend a little bit more time to discuss music. First of all, a little bit of a background. This is a little bit of my own background. There are two types, basically, of music that's out there. There's what I would call Jewish music, and then there's what's called Goyish music. Pay attention to Botai. Okay, this is a, the background has nothing to do, by the way, with the Halakhot of three weeks. But what I'm telling you right now is Halakhot for life. There's, again... Jewish music and Goyish music. The problem is labeling it and defining what's exactly Jewish, what's Goyish. Very, very difficult to do because there's a Rambam that says that in Perkei Avot, that it doesn't make a difference what language is used to sing. It's what the purpose of the music, what the music accomplishes. If the music gets you closer to HaKadosh Baruch the words are words that bring you closer to Hashem, that inspire you to serve Hashem better, that is what he defines as basically kosher music, or what we would call Jewish music. And if it doesn't, even if it's in Hebrew, that doesn't make it a Jewish song. It doesn't make it Jewish music. So, to say something is Jewish, how to define it, basically, my definition is anything that inspires a person to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So what's Goyish music? What Goyish music is, basically, I'll tell you what's for sure, Asur. It includes, but not limited to, the following list. This, everybody agrees, it's Asur. And he loves songs. I mean, songs are written where a man is singing a love song for a woman. That is forbidden, even though the men are listening to another man singing. That is forbidden. Everybody agrees on that. Why? It's Megare the Yetzahara. It puts thoughts in the person's mind. That is forbidden. Also, Men may not listen to women singing. It's a gemara mefureshet. It's a halakha mefureshet in Shohan Aruch. It's a clear halakha. There's no questioning this halakha. To hear a woman singing, to go to a Broadway play, we see a woman singing, that is forbidden. There's no exceptions. Now, you're going to tell me guys do it. That's because they don't even, either they don't know the halakha or they're not on the level, even though they know the halakha. But this is not debatable. It's not even a question. Now, what else could be in Goyish music? There could be many other things, but what I just told you right now, for sure, for sure, is including Goyish music. Now, Jewish music, when I was saying Jewish music, really, the word music is a little bit misleading. What I meant is, what, what, what really is supposed to be, it's supposed to be Jewish songs. Jewish songs. Because music itself with instruments is a big discussion. Way too big for this class and way too big to really understand the full details. I'll tell you one thing. That if it's by a mitzvah like a wedding or a brit milah or a bar mitzvah, any saudat mitzvah where there's music playing, that is definitely permitted. However, where it's not a mitzvah, where music is being used as entertainment, and here I'm stressing music, which means musical instruments, not just regular singing, this is a big discussion. And there is some heterim, a lot of people are osrim, and it's a little bit, I'll just tell you that it's a little bit stricter for Sfaradim than Ashkenazim throughout the whole year. 
if somebody is leaning to listen to music throughout the whole year, which means, again, musical instruments, of course, like we said, it's got to be Jewish music, and it's not Goyish music, he has what to rely on. And it's not a lechat hilat situation, which means if a guy wakes up, he's in a good mood, everything is fine, he has what to rely on, again, in specific cases. And definitely, Ashkenazim a little bit more lenient. And, you know, obviously ladies and, and children, a little bit more lenient than that. But, this is throughout the year. When it comes to the three weeks, with all the things that we just said, that's not so simple to really listen to music throughout the whole year. Of course, again, it's only Jewish music. When it comes throughout the three weeks, came out all the Haronim. I haven't seen really who, anybody who's matirit. Everybody is stringent during the three weeks is that we do not listen to any musical instruments. Of course, even the Jewish music. And some people tell me, Rabbi, what about this singer and that singer? I don't want to say names. You know, the most inspiring singers. It doesn't make a difference. The music, that you're supposed to listen to only throughout the whole year. You can't listen to Goish music throughout the whole year. So now, on three weeks, it doesn't make it any different. But what the, what the restriction of music is, specifically to listen in these three weeks for entertainment. As the Ben Yishai writes it, I'll read you the words of the Ben Yishai. As we said from the name of Magin Abraham, no dancing during the three weeks. And he says, Even people who have professional jobs as musicians, they have to warn them not to do it by the Goyim unless they have special exceptions. So what are these exceptions? Are there exceptions to listening to music? Of course, kosher music throughout the three weeks, yes, there are exceptions. One, when music is not being listened to for entertainment. What does that mean? I'll give you six examples. And of course, Hakam, you have to you have to use your wisdom or if you're not sure, you ask a rabbi. Case number one, people are depressed. People who not just, you know, uh, having a bad day, you know, the people who are teenagers or working not, they weren't zochet to get the youth corps and they're not working as a job, they're not getting paid good or whatever it is, they're, not, they're upset because their boss yelled at them. That's not called depressed. Depressed is when a person is completely non-functional, he doesn't want to do things even though he has a responsibility to do it. That's called a person who's depressed. Such a person has a heter to listen to music because music is not entertaining anymore. It's being used as a medicine. Another example is if a person is going to the gym and they're playing music in the gym to give it a beat because, you know, they're not going to play you know, uh, classical slow music or uh, regish, uh, an inspiring Karlbach song in the gym, right? In the gym, they're going to play a very beady song because they want to, so now you're going to work out. Even though there's music in the background, even though the music helps you work out, that's fine. You don't have to put earplugs. You're allowed to go to the gym. And even though the music is being played, that's fine. Same thing if a person walks into a store and he's shopping and they're playing music. You don't have to leave the store for that. That's fine. What about if you own the store? The same thing would apply if you own the store and you need the music there for business. That means you want to make the, your store feel alive and pumping, even though it's empty. Right? But the, <laughs> so I have many customers. So you want it to feel busy and, and happening, so you're playing music for them. That's fine. You're not putting it for entertainment. You're putting it for business so people could shop better. Now, of course, if you're in a Jewish neighborhood and all your neighbors and all your customers or at least for sure the majority or your main customers are Jewish then of course they're not allowed to listen and you also shouldn't play it for them another example in the car sometimes the kids are rowdy and they need a little bit of music 
and they get and the music calms them down. That's fine. You can play music even though you're listening to it, and even though it might take you back in memories to the days when you used to listen to Akamoshi. That's fine, because you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it primarily for the kids. Okay, you happen to hear along the way. That's also fine. If the children need to need the music also to fall asleep, also fine. Play groups, camps when they need to play music for children. Again, laws are examples when music is not being used for entertainment. It's there to be used either as a medicine or as a business or to calm the place down. That is all fine. Another exception or another time where it would be mutar to listen to what we call quote-unquote music is when there are no musical instruments. Regular singing. Regular singing, as you hear a lot on J-Root or other radio stations, most of the songs are just regular shira, bapeh, as we call, hazanut. That's all fine to listen to them. According to the Psalm of Zaman Orbach, though, even the regular, um, what we call a cappella, which is without any musical instruments, it should not be an upbeat song. It should be something more of a sad tune, melody, because remember, these three weeks are supposed to be weeks where we feel sad. And feel, you know, some people say, oh, that music, I feel so depressed. Yeah, you, that's it, you got it. You, this is exactly what we want. We want to feel sad. We don't want to feel good. We're supposed to get this feeling of mourning. Same thing also for a person singing, doing his tefillah, doing his learning, hazanim. All that is mutar for them to even sing. Even on, on Shabbat, let's say it's, uh, the, the, the song requires that it should be a little bit upbeat. That's also fine. But this is basically, not in short, but in detail, what we need to know about music. And this concludes this section. Those are restrictions applied to everybody. We move on to the second section in the three weeks, and that is things which are a mahlokit. Things where there's a difference in custom. If you look in the Suhan Aruch, he brings a few things, where the customs or what's muta, what's asur. And you see a few things over there with the Ramah himself says, no, but we're a little bit stricter in this area. The areas where we find the mahlokit in customs, whether it's Suhan Aruch or whether Ashkenazim, Sfaradim, Timani, we're going to talk about all that. Basically, we have listed over here two of them. Number one is weddings. Number two is taking haircuts or shaving, as we'll speak about in a second. Let's begin with weddings. Shohan Aruch writes, the Mechaber, We don't marry women. We don't make a Saudat Irusin, basically an engagement party, when beginning from Rosh Hodesh Ab. The Ramah, however, writes, The custom is that we're strict. We don't make weddings, says the Ramah, which is the Menhag of the Ashkenazim, from the 17th of Tammuz until Tashabi Ab. This is what's in the three weeks are no weddings. Now, even though you would say, okay, beautiful. So, Sfaradim should be mutar to make weddings until Rosh Hodesh Be'ab. But the Ashkenazim, okay, the three weeks are restricted. However, the Minhag is not that way to the Sfaradim as well. As we can point out in other places where we see a lot of communities, Sfaradi communities, were strict in the three weeks like the Ramah. Here for, is a great example. Ben Yishai writes that the following words, Even though, from the Halakha, strictly speaking, the weddings are only forbidden from Rosh Hodesh, as the Mishnah says, Still, the custom amongst the Sfaradim is that they're strict from Yudzaim 
And that is really, if you look at the Sephardic communities outside of Israel, I haven't seen the community, even Sephardic, that is lenient in the three weeks. They're all strict, and the three weeks they don't make weddings. Hacham and the all Letzion, both of them say that the Sephardim in Israel hold like the Shohan Aruch, hold like the Makabir, that they don't make weddings only from Rosh Chodesh, only during the nine days. But before the nine days, they could make a wedding. Now, like we said, the custom outside of Israel, even amongst the Sephardim, is not to make weddings even the three weeks. If it's something that's very, very important and needy, obviously somebody should consult with the Rav before going and booking a hall without consulting with the rabbis. Speak to your Rav, speak to what should be done. Even when it's mutar, you have to know what the community demands of you. Now here's a very, very important question. Before, when we spoke about music, he said, everybody agrees that music has been during the three weeks. Now you're telling me that the Sephardim in Israel are lenient to make weddings up to the nine days. I don't understand. How do you making weddings? On one hand, you, you matir a whole wedding, a whole big event, and everybody to come to listen to dance. And then you tell me, regular music, I can't listen to my car. I can't listen to entertainment in my car. I can't listen to music in my house. I can't play the piano. What's going on? So the answer is, Hakam Abadiyah writes himself, that the heter, the leniency of making a wedding is only because it comes together with the mitzvah of priyav ribiyah. There's a very important mitzvah, the oraita, of a person getting married and having children. And therefore, the wedding is the first step. There we were lenient. We were not lenient for no reason. No reason means includes entertainment. Yes, of course you listen to music because you need it, because it's entertaining. There they, was, they were not lenient. That means even the Sparadim in Israel, they might be making a wedding during the three weeks before Rosh Chodesh Av. However, they will not listen to music. That is the custom amongst all communities, Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, Israel and outside of Israel. That is one area we find in Mahloket. Another area we find in Mahloket is in haircuts and shaving. Shohan Aruch writes that the Isur of taking haircuts is only in Shabuah Shehalbo, which means in the week where Tisha B'Av falls out on. So if Tisha B'Av is on a Thursday, so from beginning of that Sunday, or Motzei Shabbat, until the uh, until uh, Tisha B'Av is over, haircuts are forbidden. However, the Ramah writes that when it comes to Tisporet, comes to haircuts, the custom is to be stringent from the Yudzayin Tamiz, which means from the beginning of the three weeks. Again, it seems like over here, a mahluk between Sephardim and Ashkenazim. And it is mainly so. However, there are some Sephardic communities, for example, Tunisians, the Ishma Sliyah brings that, the Minhag in Jorba was like the Ramah. They don't take haircuts during the three weeks. What's the source? Where does the Ramah get it from? Oh, where's the whole thing of not being allowed to take haircuts? It's actually in Mishnah in Masechet Mishnah says, that Shabuah Shehalba Tisha B'Av, the week of Tisha B'Av, haircuts are forbidden. You're not allowed to take haircuts. The Ramban Nachmanides writes that the reason of this is like a mourner, just like a person who is an Avel, a person who is mourning, doesn't cut his hair. In fact, He's not only, and one is not only allowed, uh, forbidden cutting his hair, he's not allowed to cut any hair on his body. So too, we, during that week of the Shabbat, we don't take 
not only we don't take any haircuts, we don't cut any hair on our body, which simply will include everything. Includes shaving, includes uh, if a person wants to cut from his chest hair or from his legs or her legs. All that is forbidden during the week of Shabbat, of the, where Tisha B'Av falls out on. The Kolbo comes and says, although this is according to the Mishnah and this is strictly speaking according to the law, however, the custom of the elderly of the Zekenim was that they, sh- they don't take haircuts even before Shabbat Shahalbo and they look down upon a person who does that. And the Darkei Moshe says that the Minhag is over there. The Minhag is that from the 17th of Tammuz until the three until the Shabbat they don't take any haircuts. So therefore, it comes out. And that's the way it's brought down in Psaq. According to the Ashkenazim, for sure, the custom is not to take haircuts during the three weeks. Sfaradim only halbo. So when Tisha B'Av is on a Sunday, for the Sfaradim, there's no problem to take haircuts. Question now is, when we mentioned the Namban, he mentioned that Shabbat Shahalbo is forbidden for to take a haircut and to shave. What about the custom, according to the Ramah, where he says you're not allowed to take haircuts beforehand? Does that include also shaving or not? So you should know that the minhag, what you see around you for sure, and as the way also some poskim bring down, is that the Ashkenazim are strict also on shaving. But when it's necessary, if an Ashkenazi needs to take to shave during the three weeks, of course, not Shabbat Shahabo. Shabbat Shahabo, everybody, everybody's mahmi, everybody's stringent. We're talking about if a person before Shabbat Shahabo, Ashkenazim, for example, from during the weeks, the three weeks, if it's necessary, says Ramosha Feinstein, a person, let's say for work, a person feels he's going to have a financial loss if he doesn't uh, trim his beard or shave his beard, and he usually always trims his beard or shaves his beard, he could be lenient. I don't want to give up sock to Ashkenazim. I'm, you know, you can tell by my accent, I'm not really Ashkenazi. So do not take what we said over here as a sock. We've just given you information. You need to get a psaq from your rav, from your community, to, do, to know exactly what to do. The sources for this, you look in the Magen Avraham, he says that the reason why haircuts are forbidden is because even if a person is doing it in honor of Shabbat, is because people don't usually take haircuts every week. So during these three weeks, don't take haircuts. Yeah, but people who do shave every week, maybe it should be mutar. And that's the way the Hatam Sofer brings it. However, like we said, some Ahronim are stringent. For example, the Shevet Halevi, Shvile David, and other Ahronim are stringent. And even a Moshe who was Matir, he only said if a person feels that he's going to have a financial loss. So it's not a clear heter for the Ashkenazim. But like we said, this is only according to the Ramah. The Sfaradim are lenient in this area. If a person wants to be lenient, I mean, if a Sfaradim wants to be Mahmir, Tabu'alav Biracha. Now, what about Sfaradim that learn in Ashkenazi Yeshivot? All the yeshiva bachrim, they're already in their financial loss. You know, the shaving is not going to help them right now, right? So, but they're not shaving. So, are they allowed to shave? Are they allowed to take haircuts? Rab Shlomo Zaman Orbach and Acham Abadiyat Zatzal, both of them say that Sparadi, who learns by Ashkenazi Shivot, even though all the Ashkenazi students are not shaving, are not taking haircuts, they're allowed to take haircuts. That's their custom. Everybody knows the Sparadim take haircuts and shave in three weeks. But if he doesn't want to, in fact, it's rec- recommended for a person in these three weeks, like we mentioned, to try to do as much as he can for the sake of the Beit HaMikdash, to mourn in his own way. But again, 
That's only if he's really mourning for sake of Beit HaMikdash and not being lazy. You know, sometimes the parents see their kid, they come on, go shave, clean yourself, take a shower, cut your nails. No, 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 I'm mourning the Beit HaMikdash. You know, if you feel that your children are doing it out of laziness, you can tell. So therefore, don't be mahmir in, uh, in areas where you're not supposed to be mahmir. So don't feel guilty also if you're obligating your, your children to look neat because they're, you know, just to take them out of their laziness. If a son is sincere and he usually takes care of himself during these three weeks, he wants to be mahmir, children are doing this. Parents, you should be proud of your children. The third section, as we said, we're going to speak in three sections, is humrot that are mentioned in the three weeks. We find three humrot, which means it's not an obligation, but it's brought down. If a person could do it, the three humrot that we find in the three weeks are tikkun hatsot in the daytime. Number two is fasting, ta'anit. Number three is no meat and wine during the three weeks. Let's go through each one of them. Mikubalim bring down that it's even though tikkun hatsot, which is after midnight, this is, uh, it's brought down halakha, it's an obligation, kumat. Still, Shara Kevanot, which is Zariza, writes, Min me'od nefesh. It's a good custom, it's a proper thing for every person who's more spiritual. To sit in mourning after, after midday in these three weeks. And to truly cry for the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. And this does a tremendous amount for a person spiritually. So the Hidah says, you know, from the Ariza, we don't see what he's supposed to do. All he says is sit down and mourn, like a mourner sits on the floor, and cry. So he says, you should read Tikkun Rahil. Not Tikkun Rahil, just Tikkun Rahil. Which, by the way, it's very, very short. It's a few, few Perkete Halim and a few paragraphs from Nevi'im. It is very short. A person who could read average, it should take him no more than four minutes. Four minutes. You know, four minutes are very, very short. This should be done after midday until but if it's necessary, you could go, even go up to Shekia. person sits on the floor and says it. Let's say you're working and if you sit on the floor, everybody's going to look at you weird and it's going to draw too much unwanted attention and you shouldn't do these kind of things in front of people and you, you're in the office, you can't get away. So then, you know, at least, okay, at least say the tikkun rahel even without sitting on the floor. At least try to do that. Now, if a person has the ability to be able to sit on the floor and to say tikkun rahel, you should know. If we don't say this tikkun rahel in the three weeks every single day, we don't say it on Shabbat. Not only on Shabbat, we don't say it on Fridays. We don't say it on Rosh Chodesh Av. We don't say it even on Erev Rosh Chodesh Av. And even on Tishabi Av itself. Because on a certain level, even though we're mourning the whole day of Tisha B'Av, but these Tehillim are still the Torah. When it's not necessary, it should not be learned as we will learn. And learning Torah is forbidden on Tisha B'Av. I want to tell you, before I, I finish this, about uh, Tikkun Ahel, a story that I saw brought down in the name of Shomu Zaman Orbach. He used to, after Hatzot, he would go to the ladies' section in the yeshiva or in the shul, wherever he was, and over there, privately, he would sit down and say, Tikkun Rahel. Somebody found out. And in three weeks, Rosh Hashiva, Rav Shalom Zamanovak, this is what he would do. He'd go in a secluded place and sit down. So they said, should we tell everybody to say it? Should we tell everybody to say it, Tikkun Rahel in the afternoon? So Rav Shalom Zamanovak said, no, don't tell them. He said, why? 
says, in my days, Rabbi Shalom says, everybody used to do it. People felt the hurban. People felt the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. People felt there was something missing. Our life is not complete. And on their own, they wanted to go ahead and do it. It says, in our days, you can tell them, unfortunately, it might be too external. And therefore, he says, don't tell them. If a person knows about it, yeah, they should do it. But don't go and preach it that it should be done. The Sfaradim were not like this. You look in the Chuvot of the Benish Hai in Rafi Alim or Saudi Sharim, really better put it. He writes over there, even if a person doesn't understand what he's doing and what, he, what he's saying by Tikkun Ahayl, it's still good to say it anyway. Why? It does something. He quotes different Sifarim amongst them, Nefesh Ahayim. So, but the idea there is that it should be self-inspired. It is a Humrah. And if a person could do it, do it anyway, even if you don't understand the meaning. But the idea is that it should lead you to feel more about the Beit HaMidash. Don't do it just, you know, I have to be your Sayyidah Hubba. Try to put some sort of feeling in it or hopefully that it should lead you to realize a little bit of what we're missing. Humrah number two that we find in three weeks. Shohan Aruch brings down that those who say that you should fast during the three weeks. Now what fasting means, doesn't mean you're fasting three weeks without eating at all. What it means is you fast in the day and you break your fast at night when it's over, but every single day. Why? Two reasons are brought down for this uh, custom. For those, This is again, not a communal custom, this is an individual custom for those who want to keep it. The reason is because in these three weeks, we find tremendous tragedies that happen to the Jewish people. The city walls were broken, the Goyim entered, and they were butchering Jews until the climax when they burned the Beit HaMikdash on Tisha B'Av. So therefore, during these three weeks, there's a custom to fast. Another interesting reason that's brought down, so we find that Daniel used to fast because the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Daniel, you know, from the Sefer Daniel, from the Nevi'im, from the Ketuvim. So how long did he fast for? He fasted for three Shemitot. Each Shemitah is a group of seven years, which means he fasted for 21 years. So uh, it's, it's a lot for people to do. So the custom became that for the three weeks, the 21 days that we have in between Yudzayin Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, where we're fasting anyway, we have, there is such a custom that's brought down to fast. Is it an obligation? No. It's brought down. There is such a humrah that's brought down. However, like all Himrod that we always mention, the rule by taking stringencies upon yourself is as follows. If you could maintain what you're supposed to regularly do and add upon yourself a stringency, unbelievable. You should do it. However, if the stringency makes you weaker in a different area, where your obligations are supposed to be, then don't do it. Lemashal. Poskim bring down, it's already from the Rashbah himself, that such a stringency should not be done by people who learn Torah all day. It's inevitable that when you fast, you become weaker, and it's harder to learn. It's hard to learn on the same level that you're used to learning. In fact, some people without a cup of coffee, they can't even function. So what are you going to do? You're going to go all dizzy, looking at your watch the whole day, and instead of, let's say, putting in six hours of solid learning, now you have maybe Bekoshi, two hours of learning, it's not even solid, another two hours of complaining and vetching when is it going to be over and how tired you are and what a righteous person that you're fasting and therefore you can't learn, and the other two hours you're sleeping. So what happened to your learning? It's not worth it. The Humrah is supposed to be something plus, what you're doing already, plus. So therefore, as the Poskim bring down, Hakol Lefim Adam, 
If you can handle it, do it. If you're not taking away from your work, do it. But if you can't handle it, you're an employee by somebody else and you're going to cut down on, the, on the, the, the effort that you're doing at work. You're a person who's learning throughout that whole day. It's going to weaken you and you're not going to be able to learn as well. Then you have to use your secha, you have to use your intellect and apply the stringency when you can maintain your regular obligations. Third humrah, third stringency that we find in three weeks is no meat and wine. There's an opinion that says you shouldn't have meat and wine even from the beginning of three weeks. Of course, like any time, even during the nine days, as we learn soon, wine, when it's a mitzvah, it's mutar. For example, on Shabbat for Kiddush, on, Shab- on Motzei Shabbat for Havdalah. We'll learn about that soon. But there is such an opinion that restricts meat and wine even from the beginning of three weeks. And again, the same rule applies. If you're able to maintain this humrah while continuing work, some people, for example, if they don't eat meat, they're fine, they're strong. Some people, if they don't eat meat, they become very weak. And if you can't do it for these three weeks, okay, at least do the minimum, which is the nine days. And that leads us right now into the laws of the nine days. The nine days begin from Rosh Chodesh Av, and they go all the way and including Tisha Av. We just add on all what we said till now about the three weeks. The following stringencies are more. They add on. It's not coming to negate what we said during the three weeks. What are things that are restricted to everybody? There's no mahlokit on this during the nine days. Mishnah says in Masechet Ta'anit, av When the month of Av comes in, we cut down on Samha. What does it mean we cut down on Samha? So we find a few things that are related to Samha. And that is anything that has to do with weddings, as we'll talk about. All these things, I'm just giving you a list, we're going to discuss them. Building, renovating houses, buying or making new clothing, also eating meat and drinking wine. And of course, we're going to discuss also things to avoid in the month of Av, because our mazal is not the best in the month of Av. Unfortunately, our mazal, as we saw, Gemara says, we don't have a clear historical record that Beit Midas, the second Beit Midas was destroyed to Shabi'av, as she explains, being that the first Beit Midas was destroyed to Shabi'av, we're certain that the second Beit Midas was also destroyed on the 9th of Av. So it's not a good time for us. And we're going to discuss the halakhot that pertain to all these things. Let's begin with the first thing, which is most applicable, most effective, because it affects everybody. The custom of not eating meat and wine during the nine days. I say the custom because in Halakha, the Mishnah says that it's forbidden to eat meat and wine only during the Surat HaMafsekit. That's what the Mishnah says in Masechet Anit. Why? Because there's no Beit HaMikdash and therefore there's no Mizbaya. On the altar in the Beit HaMikdash, we used to bring Korbanot. The Korbanot were made of animals primarily and also of the, there was wine that was spilled on the Mizbeah. So those things, since there's no more Beit HaMikdash, and the Mizbeah has not consuming meat and wine, also we shouldn't consume meat and wine. In fact, the Gemara wanted to instill this law throughout the whole entire year. They wanted to say after the Huban, after the destruction of Beit HaMikdash, there was a possibility or the rabbis wanted to make it that all meat is always going to be a problem. You're never allowed to eat meat and never allowed to drink wine. Can you imagine? No meat and wine at all. 
wouldn't have the problem with Yosef or all the, no, I'm kidding. So we would have uh, this is suit throughout the whole year, but they saw that people can't handle it. So therefore, they restricted it only to Surat and But the custom, as some recently brought down already, is that with the, the minhag has been accepted by many Jewish communities, I would say the majority of Jewish communities, that they don't eat meat or drink wine from beginning of the month of Av. And here we have already, what I know about, is three customs. Besides the Humrah that we said, that's an individual stringency, which is from the beginning of the three weeks, people don't eat meat already. Communal customs begins from Rosh Chodesh. According to the Ashkenazi custom, is that from the first of Av, Rosh Chodesh, already you cannot have meat or drink wine all the way until including Tisha B'Av. The Sephardic custom, a lot of the Sephardic post came bring down the Hiddak and the Siddiq and others, I believe even the Benish High also, is that although the Isur or the communal custom is that we don't eat meat and drink wine from Rosh Hodesh, really in honor of Rosh Hodesh, you're allowed to eat meat and drink wine. So technically, the Sephardim begin on the second of Av. Both Sfaradim and Ashkenazim are lenient on Shabbat. Now on Shabbat, even though it's within the nine days, they eat meat and they drink wine, like we mentioned beforehand about wine, this is applicable. Now, this is Sfaradim, Ashkenazim, there's another custom, there's a third custom, and that's the custom of the Yemenites. The Temani custom is exactly like the Mishnah says. They eat meat and they drink wine even throughout the nine days until Sadat Amavsek. So Amavsek, nobody argues about it. That's a Mishnah Mefurashah. It's a clean Mishnah. So that of second, you cannot have meat and drink wine. These are the three different customs. Some points, a little bit to point out in the customs. Shohan Aruch brings on that it's not only meat, but also chicken. Chicken is also forbidden, but not fish. And the poskim bring down that also grape juice is like wine. It's also forbidden. Grape juice, if you don't drink wine, you also don't drink grape juice. But you should know. There's some people who have a custom, like the way Nahar Mitzayim brings down, which is the Egyptian custom, is that they eat chicken during the nine days. They stay away from meat, but they eat chicken. Now, some who have such a custom, check with your local community. Also, some even drink wine. They only accepted the minhag of not drinking wine. I mean, excuse me, they only accepted the minhag of not eating meat in the nine days, but they do drink wine. And each one, again, has to check with his own community. Those who do keep, which means the majority of the Jewish people who are not going to eat meat and drink wine during the nine days, you should know. It doesn't only apply to the actual meat itself or chicken. It also applies to any food that was cooked with meat, even though you're not eating the meat itself. The general rule is as follows. If you have to wait on it three or six hours, whatever your custom is, then this cannot be consumed during the nine days. But if it's just made in the meaty pot, which is clean, what we call not baranat. So then in that case, par foods that are made in mini pot, for example, you took rice or noodles and you made it in a meat pot without any meat in it, just the pot itself is usually used to cook meat, then it's mutar to cook in such a way, it's mutar to consume that food, it's not an issue, it's not a problem. What about children? So children we find also according to the Sfaradim, children under the age of Bar don't have an obligation of Morning for the Beit Hamidah, so I could technically eat meat. The custom is only on the adults. 
Ashkenazim are stringent and they say that once a child is old enough to understand a little bit of the story or there was a bit of midas and it was destroyed, they shouldn't have meat or chicken. Now, although I told you that Sfarim are lenient, you do look around, you see that many, many people are careful not to give even their children. Even though Mekaradim is mutar, Sfaradim mutar. But if you know yourself that usually you don't give the children, then you don't give the children any meat. And why? They understand, Baruch Hashem, they understand, then keep it as us. But such, you should just know that for Sfaradim, when it's necessary, then you may give children meat if they need to drink during the week. People who are elderly or sick or weak and the doctor says you need to have meat, they can have it. Especially women who are nursing and the doctor says you need to eat meat because the kid needs that, that nourishment, they could also have meat during the nine days. Although there, it's preferable if they can eat chicken instead of the meat. But again, you follow what the doctor tells you. We find another heter to eating meat during the nine days and that is during a mitzvah such as, for example, Brit Milah or Pidyon, or making a Siyum during the nine days. Everybody knows this. But it's not such a simple thing over here. By making a Siyum or by the Pidyon and Brit Milah over there, a lot of poskim restrict it to, to only uh, a few close friends. Also, some say that Siyum has got to be part of your learning and happy to be that you finish during the nine days. Then you can have meat. I know that some people plan it. There are people in Matir also to plan a siyum during nine days. I personally never understand this whole craziness. Big deal. You don't have meat for a week. You, 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 you become a vegetarian for a week. What's a big deal? It's not worth it even to understand that, okay, it's part of the morning. But I guess, you know, I'm not, uh, okay, I don't understand these things. People are out there, they can do. I caught Hadin and they... Like we said, it's preferable for a person to feel for the Beit HaMikdash. Then it's one week, zelo, it's not the worst thing. There is another difference that we find by Eskenazim Sparadim when it comes to this minhag. And that is by the Havdalah on Motzei Shabbat. When Motzei Shabbat, which is in the middle of the nine days, you can make Havdalah, you can make on grape juice. Should you give it to a child to drink or not? We hold, Sparadim hold, if it's a mitzvah, you can drink it yourself. You don't have to give it to a child. Ashkenazim, however, are stringent. They give it to a child. Although not all Ashkenazim, again, check with your Rav because there are different customs even amongst the Ashkenazim themselves. Here's a question. What if somebody made a beracha during the nine days on a piece of meat by mistake? He went to the fridge. He had some leftovers. He pulled it out. He said, Baruch Hashem. Then he realized, oh, it's the nine days. I'm not supposed to eat meat. What do you do then? Before taking a bite. The answer is, you take a bite. Why? Because if you don't take a bite, it's going to be bracha lebatala. Maran holds it's bracha lebatala is a sud Even those who hold it to the banan, it's still going to override the minhag, the custom of not being able to eat meat. Because remember, it's only during sevdatam afseke that's forbidden to eat meat min haddin. The rest is a communal custom. It's not minhag also, you can just push away. But still, when it's a choice, either to transgress in the suit, the oraita, or even if you want to say the rabbanan or batala, or to take a bite, it's better to take a bite only and to put it down and don't continue eating. Yes, you'll be meaty, you can't have your cup of coffee with milk. Okay, but that's, you know, for forgetting that you deserve it. Okay, another question that comes up is leftovers from Shabbat. Leftovers from Shabbat. What do we do with leftovers from Shabbat? So, 
The Alcha brings down, like this, pay attention. If we don't allow you to eat the leftovers from Shabbat, we're worried that people might, have, might come in the future not to buy meat for Shabbat. If they don't buy meat from Shabbat because they're scared they're going to throw it out, oh my gosh, what's going to happen in the Kabbalah of Shabbat? So because of that, Hakami will matir, you should eat the leftovers. So this way you should be able to buy without feeling uh, that you have to be uh, stingy and, 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 and very, very limited on your, on your spending. Buy and buy enough meat and enjoy it on Shabbat. This is the original way. Now you can already see in our days this reason doesn't apply so much. Because a lot of people, first of all, are classified into two groups. Either you're a person that will eat leftovers or you don't eat leftovers. If you don't eat leftovers, right, it doesn't make a difference if it's a nine days or nine days. You're not going to eat leftovers. Even during the whole year, if you don't eat leftovers, you don't eat leftovers. And it's not going to, it never stopped you from buying less meat for Shabbat. It's not even like on Shabbat, oh my gosh, I don't have meat for Shabbat. I ran out. I should bought more. Doesn't really so much apply. And even if you're a guy who eats leftovers, you have what we call a fridge or a freezer where it could be stored and you can have it throughout the week. But if you can say, no, if I put it in the fridge or put it in the freezer, I'm not going to come to eat it. Okay, you have what to rely on. I'm not saying you're not. You have what to rely on. They are poskim that matir, that permit eating the leftover foods from Shabbat, only on Motzei Shabbat for the sake of Surat Malavim Malka. Especially if you're a guy, that usually every Motzei Shabbat, that's what you usually have for Surat Malavim Malka, to have the meat that's left over from Shabbat, there is what to rely on. But preferably, should be given either to children, excuse me, it's preferable that you should freeze it after the nine days, if not, give it to children, if... And then, only then, if you feel like it's going to be thrown out and it's otherwise, you know, it's a shame, okay, then if you want to eat it, then once Shabbat, then you could eat it. A few small points about eating meat and wine, and then we'll go on to the next category, and that is cooking with wine is also forbidden. You cannot put wine in, let's say, your noodles or whatever you're making. Vinegar, however, is mutar. Also, synthetic meat, or chicken, you know, chicken-flavored things, that's all mutar. Likewise, alcoholic drinks that are not wine, like let's say beer or whiskey, all these things were not in the category of isur. These were not things that are part of the custom of not drinking or not eating. So therefore, if a person wants to be mahmin, they say it's a personal choice. Next, Butchers and restaurants that sell meat, although most butchers close in the nine days because most of their customers are not there, but a person doesn't have to close his restaurant or his butcher store. Especially if you're in a neighborhood where people are not religious and if they're very easy, I've sort of brought down the name of someone's down Orbach. He says, butchers that are in neighborhoods who are not religious. And if they don't find kosher meat, for example, let's just go down to ShopRite and buy non-kosher meat. So for them, they should open during the nine days because, remember, not eating meat during the nine days is a custom. Eating tarif is a suda, right? At least save them from that isur. With all these things, when it looks fishy, and looks weird, you should consult with the Rav exactly how to behave. Next thing we find that's forbidden during the nine days is weddings. Weddings are forbidden during the nine days. According to everybody, even the Sfaradim and SSL have this custom, but not only weddings, preparing for wedding is also forbidden during the nine days. That includes buying gifts for fiancé, 
the hatan, buying it for the kala, kala for the hatan, some communities they send flowers. All this should not be done in nine days. Even shopping for wedding, like for example, uh, the hatan, buying a new suit for the wedding, now has other problems, or tailoring your suit, buying jewelry, all that should not be done during the nine days. If it's very, very necessary because the wedding is immediately after Tashabi'ah and there's no time and things, you know, got delayed and you have to do something to prepare for the wedding during the nine days, consult with the Rav. There's room to be lenient, but you need to consult with the Rav. Can a person make a sa'uda for Bar Mitzvah? A boy is turning Bar Mitzvah during the nine days. Could you make a sa'uda in honor of the Bar Mitzvah with meat and wine? Surprisingly, Halakot Shomor says, yes, you could have a meal with meat and wine as is customary, of course, with that. According to the Ashkenazim, the Mahmid, they don't put music in this, but regular Salat Mitzvah. And usually the Ashkenazim are stringent and during the nine days, they don't wear freshly laundered stuff, they don't wear Big Day Shabbat, but the parents and the grandparents, if they usually wear Big Day Shabbat for such a meal, they could even wear it during that time. And they could even give presents during that time to the Bar Mitzvah boy. Again, with all these things, when it's an exception to the rule, it's not normally done, but you can find an exception, always good to consult a Rav. Building is another thing that's forbidden during the nine days. The Halakha says, Any building that's of happiness is not to be done. What do you mean of happiness? The Gemara says, or the Shohan Aruch also brings it down, is that anything that's done for Hatan, they used to build a bit Hatnut, a special place where the wedding would take place, or the Sauda after the march of the wedding would take place, that should not be done during, that, during the nine days. Majority of Ahronim, most of the Ahronim hold, is that this halakha extends also to regular construction. Any construction that's done for luxury, where it's not a necessity, is also forbidden during the nine days. For example, if a person's house is fine, it's livable, he's been doing fine for the last couple of years, but now he wants to do a renovation to make it look nicer. Some say painting or this everybody agrees on, which is uh, putting up moldings, making some designs, calling some designs. All that, when it's not necessary for living because it's fine, you can live it, there's no leaks, there's no cracks, that should not be done during the, what's it called, during the nine days. What is permitted is when a person, what's a necessity. Where a person needs it either to live, for example, you want to buy a new house. And it's a great catch, especially if you live in the New York area. Every single house is a great catch. You get it, get your hands on it, take it. Or let's say it's an investment, it's a business. That's also mutar. Or if you want to make a renovation in the house because you want to extend. You want to take the uh, back room, the children already moved out, and you want to extend it, make it a bigger kitchen because you need it, the kitchen's too small. That's also per permit to be done during the nine days, even to move in into a new house is also where a person needs to move in because he needs a space. He doesn't want to pay rent when there's a financial loss. Now he bought a new house. Or even not in such a situation. Even he's going to pay rent, he's going to pay rent there, but it's a bigger place. He, is, Baruch Hashem, he has more kids, he needs more room. That's all permitted. And of course, building shoes or painting shoes, even decorations and shoes, that is permitted according to all opinions because... It's all for the sake of a mitzvah. That's permitted. What about if a person wants to begin construction for something that's not necessary, but he wants to just demolish in these nine days? You know, a lot of people want to knock down the walls. 
and then afterwards put up the new walls and put the fancy decorations. But the demolition, could you begin demolition during these nine days? The answer is, again, you should consult with the Rav, but there is definitely what to rely on, especially the Samahronim who hold that the Isur is strictly on Tsiyur V'chiyur, only on decorations and drawings and special carvings. But anything else, like painting and anything else, that they're lenient on. Next thing that we find that's forbidden during these nine days is buying and wearing new clothes. The source of the Isur is because the Kodesh Kodashim was built around what we know is called the Ibn Hashetiyah. The word Shetiyah comes from the word Sheti, which is the string, the way it's lined up in the machine, which they used to uh, sew, weave together the clothing. So therefore, the custom became that making new clothing, which is basically setting up the line of string, became forbidden. And this is actually halakha. It's forbidden to make new clothing. In fact, not only making, but even buying new clothing is forbidden during the nine days. Are there exceptions? Yes. Because remember, this halakha applies to person making the clothing and to the person also who is buying the clothing. Let's start with making the clothing. If you're a person that works as a tailor or if you have a factory where you make clothing, if this is your only source of income, which you need, you have a heter during the nine days if it's necessary. Again, only during the nine days. Or let's say you have a factory and either way, you have to pay your employees, whether you open or you close. So you're going to suffer financial loss if you close. So then again, you have a heter. If somebody is taking another heter, if somebody is taking a, learn, a course in learning how to sew, learn how to fix garments, also mutar. Also, if you gave your garment to be done before Rosh Hodesh, they could work on the garment even in the 90s, however, only up to Shabosha Halbo. And if a person needs needlework just for therapy, so then that also has a heter. Just like my music, we said, when it's being used for medicine, same thing over here. If weaving or sewing needlepoint is there to relax a person, that can also be done in the nine days. Buying new items during the nine days is usually forbidden unless it's a special exception. It's a crazy price. You know, you can't believe you found such an item. You could also have it. And minor alterations is also always mutar. For example, a button falls off, that's fine. Small patching on the clothing, that's also fine. When it's a mitzvah that's needed, there's also an exception. For example, a person wants to buy a new talit. Now, of course, we're not talking about shahiyan, we're just buying a new talit. Let's say yom, you usually make a shahiyan on it. Or let's say new sefarim, new tefillin, all that is fine. Or to fix a corner of a garment of the tzitzit, that's also fine. Some poskim say that a person should not buy expensive commodities during these days. That's the Grot Moshe he brings down. A person should avoid bu buying the nine days major appliances like fridges, uh, couches. Or, or excuse me, that's not an appliance, right? But like uh, fridges, uh, uh, washing machines. Again, things that could be done after the Shabbat. If your washing machine breaks, anyway, there's no laundry now. Or if your fridge breaks and you need to buy right now a fridge, what's necessary? You could be lenient, but again, if it's not necessary, try to push it afterwards. Also includes cars and uh, furniture, big, you know, the couches and the beds and all these things, if they can be done afterwards, when you're only using it now just to make your house look nicer, try to use it or to do it after the nine days. We have to stop here. It's already three o'clock. 
If anybody has a question, we'll be in the studio to answer your questions. The number to text in is 347-927-8398. We reply by text. Or you can call in 718-683-5858. Or you can always email us anytime you like. Halakhahour at gmail.com. Halakhahour at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. We'll finish up the halakhot of the nine days. And we'll get into the halakhot of the of Av should turn Barzat Hashem to the day of Simha until next week. Have a wonderful week. Have a Shabbat Tov and a Shabbat Shalom. This class will be aired on again tonight at 10 o'clock here on jradio.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Iran. Thank you, Rav Nisim, for hosting us. We'll see you next week.